Hello, you're welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from Onshot.net. Episode 73, A Proper Plan for Technology, Part 5. Hello there, um, it's Simon Lewis here from Onshaw.net and you are listening to part five of an episode. It's the longest podcast episode I've ever done and it's all about technology in education and how you plan for it. Uh, just in case you have landed on part five without listening to the first four parts, just to very briefly summarise the first four parts before we get to it. Part one was about the history of uh, educational technology in Ireland with a little bit of nostalgia thrown in for those of you who like that sort of thing. Part two was uh, focused on the failures of the uh, Irish government to roll out technology in a very good way uh, from the 1990s onwards. Part three uh, decided, uh, well, its focus was to um, make uh, decisions on uh, basics uh, for a school. So uh, the basic set, uh, bits of technology that you'd need in any classroom. Part part four moved on to ICT planning and uh, uh, my um, idea for an IC, ICT plan as opposed to the various other plans that are out there. And part five, the final part of this episode, is all about what to do once you've done the basics and once you've got your plan and you have a little bit of money. So let's get on with it and see what we can do. Hello, hello. You are very welcome to the final part of this episode 73 of If I Were the Minister for Education from Onshaw.net. It's Simon Lewis here. So part five is uh, basically we're here where we've a bit of money left. We've uh, the surprise money that came uh, from the Department of Education through some EU funding and we need to buy some stuff. Um, so you still have some money. And to be honest, this might be the first stop on your train, stir, a train journey. Uh, I've been comparing um, this episode to a train journey where you can hop on and hop off at each episode, depending on what's relevant to you. And maybe the last four episodes have been very, very basic. This is where I suppose um, we have the final part where we're really, uh, we've, we've done all the basics and we're ready to move on. Uh, you've spent, you know, you might be someone who spent the last number of years getting the basics right. You've allocated a few thousand euro every year to your ICTI needs and ideas, whether that's, you know, whether that's subscribing to particular learning platforms or getting pieces of equipment and so on and so forth. So what if you are now sitting on a few thousand euro and have no further ideas? Well, you could simply keep spending it on devices for your pupils. You could upgrade older equipment to newer equipment. You might buy a number of devices to lend out to families should they need them. If they're locked down in the future, you know, let's say there's another pandemic or something like that. Uh, but at this time of recording, that looks very unlikely that schools are ever going to be shut down again. Or you could be tempted to invest your money in whatever technology fad is happening at the moment. You know, I went through all the fads of the you know late 1990s and early noughties. But fads don't, I mean, fads come and go from time to time. And this is where the title of this podcast finally kind of gets its introduction in a way. I mean, the, the title of this introduction originally wasn't a proper plan for education, without buying uh, technology centrally. Um, but, you know, there's a few things you could do. And let me go through the current fads. Now, some of these might stick. So fads is probably a, not a fair word, but I'm going to use them at the moment because they are new. You could take a punt with your extra money on 3D printing. You know, you could buy a 3D printer. You could buy a 3D printer. Um, that's an absolute, absolute option. You could look at augmented reality apps. 
you know, augmented reality is something that possibly isn't going to be a fad. I can see this being a thing. Um, but we're in the early stages in Ireland, at least, around augmented reality. Virtual reality, um, which is slightly different. Just to, in case you don't know what augmented reality is, by the way, because I probably, you know, I'm assuming something there. Augmented reality, you know when you, um, now maybe you, you don't know this, but on your phone, if you're on Google Maps and you're walking around, you can um, you can uh, press a button. And what it will do is it will... Um, turn your phone into sort of like a, a camera um, where it will augment what you see in front of you uh, to uh, give you directions. So I, I'm explaining this really badly, sorry. So basically what it does is instead of a map in front of you, what it does is you point your camera to wherever you are and what you'll see is whatever's in front of you. But it augments that with directions. So on the screen, as well as seeing whatever's in front of you, let's say the road ahead, you also have arrows saying, goes, you know, saying, and, and an arrow further, you know, in view of turn left or turn right or uh, things like that, um, or names of buildings and stuff like that. It augments what's reality. Black Mirror did a, there was an episode of Black Mirror, for those of you who are familiar with Black Mirror, where people were living in an augmented reality. So nothing was real, really. Uh, everything was very dull, but you put on your glasses and uh, everything you saw then was augmented in, in, in reality, where you could see everything in, in place. But in reality, everything didn't really look the way it was. Um, so anyway, that's my really bad explanation of augmented reality. Virtual reality is slightly different. Um, it's where you uh, are in a world which isn't real at all. You're in a blank space, but you can interact with that blank space through wearing virtual reality headsets. And you can you feel like you're in a place, but you aren't actually in that place. So you could maybe be on the moon or feel you're on the moon and you can interact with things um, there uh, virtually, but uh, you're not really there. Um, so that's another thing you could take a punt on it again, something that hasn't really taken off. And then there's robotics. And that's been around for quite some time. And you've, you've been through, there's all sorts of robotics. I mean, there are thereabouts, Arduino and... BBC does BBC things, Raspberry Pis, um, all those sort of stuffs are kind of versions of robotics. Um, so um, yeah, I mean, and again, not many. You could take a punt on those, and they've been around for a while, but it's very early days as to whether they're going to take root in primary schools. And um, you could take on, you know, something that Microsoft or Google or Apple have bought over, like. You know, I think the Microsoft buy over Minecraft or Roblox or something like that. And and, and, and therefore you could like buy into that because Microsoft sort of sell those sort of things. Um, you could go into these virtual world initiatives. Um, you know, like again, these virtual worlds aren't um, new. I mean, remember Second Life back in the uh, late 90s, early noughties. But, you know, we have new things, uh, new virtual worlds like the Minecraft has certainly took root um, in the general world. But in education, you have Minecraft for education. But are they really going to take root like the interactive whiteboard took root and is everywhere? Like I remember, um, as I said before, I was I was asked to pilot almost every technology fad in the country. Um, but very, very few of them took off, even if they were brilliant. Like one of my favourites, uh, and I mentioned this just there, was based on Second Life, um, which I, I, you know, and... I went to County Limerick to a school that was using it and I, I donned my virtual reality headset and I virtually worked around, walked around a building that with pupils had built um, virtually. And it was amazing. Like I, I remember, like one thing I really remember about it was I was walking or walking around a room, but I felt I was in this castle. They built this castle and I reached the window ledge or what I saw as a window ledge and I actually got vertigo. I thought I was going to, like I could have walked out and I, I would have felt myself falling. That's how good it was. It was amazing. Like, and I remember actually kind of stopping suddenly and they were, you know, the, the guys that were out there were kind of laughing, you know, because, you know, I suppose they did the same thing. But the thing is, it never really took off in a big way. And 
I don't know. I don't know why it didn't take off in primary schools. And, and you know, that's the thing about these things. Sometimes things are brilliant, but they just don't take off. And some things are useless do take off. You know, this is the kind of thing. Maybe the links with the curriculum were too vague with the second life. I don't know. Maybe the cost of running it was too expensive. Perhaps the idea of children walking around their classrooms with headsets was way too science fiction-y uh, for people. Perhaps we're adverse in Ireland. Maybe we are all adverse in teaching to trying things that haven't already become mainstream. And perhaps we're only comfortable with using things that map directly from, you know, an older version of that. For example, there isn't a huge leap between answering maths problems on a, from a book to answering them on a laptop or a tablet, we aren't, there isn't a huge leap from using a blackboard to using an interactive whiteboard. So, you know, I don't know. When it comes to mindset in education, we still have a fairly 19th century mindset to what the purpose of education is for. Or perhaps because of our own childhood education, you know, it always ends in a place that rewards traditional learning. You know, at the end of the day, our education system doesn't reward what Second Life was trying to do or what robotics is trying to do. What it does is it basically ends in the leaving cert, which doesn't reward creativity, you know? Um, anything that embraces creativity isn't seen as valuable. You know, look how difficult it was to convince the powers that be to have a technology subject at all in the Leaving Cert. Now, I think it was a wise idea, as I said before, not to have technology subject in primary school, but certainly for your Leaving Cert, when you're kind of making up your mind about your career, technology really does need to be a subject, I would say, in the, in the Leaving Cert. And, you know, when it finally did come, some would argue it came 20 years too late. Um, some would say longer. And it certainly um, was a decade overdue, I'll put it that way. And before you say it, um, and I, I've already I've already said, it. look, I don't think technology should be a subject at primary level, which leads me to my next point, because whether I like it or not, or whether anyone with half a brain cell likes it or not, the government are going to push through what they've been trying to push through for more than a decade. And that's coding as a curriculum subject, basically. And if it's not as a full curriculum subject, even worse, it's going to be part of an updated mathematics curriculum. Yes, the 2026 curriculum is going to contain a new subject, technology, which will be incorporated into a new segment called STEM. I know, it's so sad. Oh, oh gosh, I just can't believe this is happening. But anyway, it is happening. And for the first time, children are going to have technology not as a resource, not as a methodology, but as a curriculum subject. And right now, as I'm recording this, we don't know what this is going to look like. Consultations are still continuing, but the government have put all the right people in all the right places for this to be pushed through. The idea of children coding in primary schools. Now, one of the great successes of the technology branch of the PDST back in the past was that the people in charge of it were in it for the right reasons, because they were true advocates of technology in education. These were people who had spent years in the early days of educational technology in Ireland creating the courses, teaching, using these new resources that were out there and having the freedom to critique what wasn't working and so on. These were people, I won't name names because that's not fair, but you know, there were people like Robbie O'Leary who didn't actually get involved with the PDSC, actually, it's, it's interesting to say. But I mean, people like him and then those who worked in the PDSC around him these are people who knew, um, who had the freedom 
to explore things. They had freedom to be innovative. There was no government plan for technology and education at the time or any specific government uh, plan for technology and education. It was there was um, a kind of a um, an understanding that, you know, we needed we needed space. We did, you know, an industry hadn't got involved. And basically what I'm trying to say really is that industry hadn't come in and basically said, we want coding monkeys, please. And the government went, oh, yes, we are a neoliberal uh, party and uh, we will provide you with coding monkeys. Let us make coding a subject. And, um, you know, unfortunately, you know, the, the trouble is these days, and this isn't a personal slight on anyone in particular, the PDST no longer has any autonomy. The government of the day sets the agenda and they must fall into line with government thinking. Or, as Dr. Evil from Austin Powers might say to someone who criticises their plans, and to be honest with you, this did happen, um, <coughs> let's say, to introduce coding as a subject in primary schools. Okay? So for what happened when the government started to try and push coding as a subject? The PDSD at the time basically said, no, no, this is a really bad idea. And as Dr. Evil might say, that makes me angry. And when the education minister gets angry, the industry moguls get upset. And when the industry moguls get upset, people die! Sorry, I, I've always wanted to do an impression of Dr. Evil. Um, and I didn't do a very good one. But I also wanted to quote Austin Powers uh, in this podcast. I think I did it once before, but never really, really had the chance to do it. So I'm glad I've done that now. Um, I feel a bit embarrassed by doing it because I'm really bad at impressions and it's probably dated very badly because people listening to this will go, what, who's Austin Powers? Anyway, so basically what the government do, uh, and I'm translating my Dr. Evil impression into English here, is what they do is they give jobs to people who will do what they want to do. They'll just do as they're told. Kind of like what happens, you know, like, I mean, that's that effectively that's what the PDST is right now. The government have an idea and they put the people in place who won't argue with them and they'll just do as they're told because that's what is happening in particularly in technology and education uh, and I would suggest in all other areas um, you know for example look at the representative bodies in charge of education in education at the moment I mean these people simply deliver what they're being asked and they don't argue back you know I mean look like I'm recording this uh, on a day where the government announced cuts I won't say what they are because it won't date well but they 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 they, they they announce cuts to something, okay? And the our representative bodies, do you know what they did? How they reacted to that was they just passed the information on. They didn't argue. Like, these are people who represent us. Unions, you know, I'm talking about here. They just pass the information on. So they have people in place to just do that. They have a plan. They're going to do it. And it doesn't really matter what you say. Um, what you get and what, what you get by doing that, when you have people not arguing, when you have people not saying anything, is what you get is beige. Magnolia, vanilla stuff. And why am I telling you this? Because the truth is, we don't know what terrible technology curriculum awaits us. We know it's probably going to be coding by numbers. And it's very likely it's going to be that because effectively that's what the government want. But it's very, very, very likely, it's most likely that it's going to be terrible. We don't know, but the thing is, we don't know for definite what it will be. Okay, I mean, we're not going to be asking teachers to teach Fortran, for example. By the way, Fortran is an ancient computer language from the 1980s. But we're not even going to be teaching them C++, which is an ancient language from the noughties. But we, I can imagine we will have something vague around coding. And with very little else to base that on, 
I, I, and I think we'll end up coding by numbers, as I said. That's going to be our technology curriculum. It's only my guess. But if my guess is right, then we'll probably be needing to invest in technology that supports coding. But what if I'm wrong? You know? What if the, what if the PDST and the government aren't planning on turning us all into coding monkeys? What if they get a revelation? I mean, and, and they say, actually, do you know what? That's a really bad idea because finally they go, oh yeah, actually everyone is saying it's a bad idea. It must be a bad idea, even though we think it's a great idea. And they change their mind. What will happen is if you've already planned for what the government, you think the government are planning for now, which is basically coding in schools, what you're probably going to do is you're going to go off and buy coding robots so for infants. So those B-bots, those kind of things, or you're going to buy maybe um, these uh, cars that go you know, backwards, forwards, left and right, different angles and things like that. You might buy, uh, you know, uh, subscriptions to code.org or whatever it might be. But if you're wrong, or if I'm wrong by saying that that's what's going to happen, it could mean you'll have a load of B-shaped robots sitting in a cupboard for the next four years doing nothing. And this is, this is the trouble. Because I guess what I'm saying is, I don't think, even if you have money now, I don't think you have to spend it now. And I don't think it's a good idea to spend it just yet. If you have a decent setup, the basic setup, but maybe have some plans for if most of your subjects to help whatever areas you're looking at, may, and you still have some money, maybe it's best to wait and see what the government and the NCCA and whoever it is are planning in the next curriculum. And that's not for four years time. It's 2022 when I'm recording this. It's 2026 when it's coming, uh, when this new curriculum is coming. And there's absolutely no reason to believe that we're going to get extra funding for its technology when the new curriculum comes out. In fact, the ICT grant that was announced from 2020 looks like it's going to be half of what it was between 2015 and 2020, and it lasts until 2027. Now, unsurprisingly, just as an aside, not a single representative body bothered to question this. Why is it half of what it was, even when I and others involved in ICT directly raised it with them? In fact, actually, they welcomed the funding, despite it being potentially half of what it was supposed to be. Anyway, what I'm trying to get at is that whenever the powers that be make up their mind as to what they want this curriculum subject to look like, it'll become clearer what tools we're going to need to support it, whether that's floor robots or whether that's subscriptions to a Minecraft program. What I dread more than all of this, though, is that schools will be left to make their own decisions about how to integrate technology into this new STEM subject. The only thing, if they do this, if they leave the autonomy of schools, is what will happen will be a continuation of the last 25 years of haphazard planning and snowflake schools. And I mean snowflake in the, in the way I meant it, which is no two schools are the same, where you'll have schools doing all sorts of interesting things and some schools doing other interesting things, but both of them doing completely different things. And neither of which will have any purpose, except that they might be testing out the next fad and wasting their limited resources in the process. You just never know what's going to come down the tracks. 10 years ago, I would have thought that all schools would be programming in Scratch, for example, and messing around with Makey Makeys or Arduino devices. Such was the influence of Coder Dojo in Ireland at the time. If you think back 10 years ago, Coder Dojo was to be the future. And people were saying, why isn't every school a Coder Dojo dojo? <laughs> that makes no sense. Why Why isn't every school not coding? And why? look at Coder Dojo. Look at the hundreds of thousands of children attending Coder Dojo camps. But it never took root in the end, did it? 
You know, there were a few schools that started coder dojos after school, but it, it, they've died off, haven't they? And they never really took root. And I mean, while there are coder dojos around, it's not the mega thing that we thought it was going to be. And some would be critical of schools for not introducing coding into their curriculum through scratch. But there's always a good reason why something that appears very obvious on the outside doesn't actually tally um, or doesn't actually happen on the ground. Why didn't coding happen in schools? We need to ask this question. Well, my let's, let's answer it with an analogy. Why do you think, despite annual calls every single year by Darina Allen, that we don't have cooking in primary schools? Why, why do we not have cooking in primary schools? Well, the reason is we don't have cooking in primary schools because we don't have the foundations to teach cooking in primary schools. We don't have rooms in our schools where cooking can take place. We don't even have any of the basic equipment to do any kind of cooking. And we also don't have any money coming into schools to purchase any of those things for cooking. Are you getting my, my analogy so far? And on top of this, we have to ask where we would find the time to add in cooking to an already loaded curriculum, overloaded curriculum. And then we ask questions of why we teach so much other stuff and why don't we teach cooking? And then people say, why don't we just get rid of religion in Irish? And then people get defensive. I know, I'm only pushing that for the laugh. Looking at coding, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. We don't have the foundations to teach coding. We don't have rooms in our schools where we can teach coding in a proper way. Well, maybe we do. I don't know. We didn't get enough of the basic equipment to be able to teach any kind of coding yet. And we also don't have any money coming in, any money definitely coming in to make sure that we have consistent um, things to help us to do coding. And where do we find the time in an already overloaded curriculum to teach coding? And I suppose what I'd be asking instead on top of that is why are we teaching coding? I can see why we would teach cooking, but why are we teaching coding? Well, you know, it's a lesser argument, but everybody needs to how to cook to survive in the world, but not everybody needs to know how to code. However, computational thinking is an aspect of coding. That's something that almost all future workers will need in some way or another if we are going to be working in the 21st century world of virtual commodities like NFTs, for example. Has anyone, have you heard of NFTs, everyone? NFT, I have to talk to you about NFTs. Um, if, if nothing else, you know, it's, it's, it's just amazing. NFTs are these, um, oh, I can't remember what they stand for, but these virtual things that you can buy, pieces of art that don't actually exist, but you can get exclusive rights to owning them. So for example, someone bought um, the owner of Twitter's first ever tweet, a virtual, you know, virt his tweet, they paid two million euro for his tweet. They own uh, Jack Dor, what's his name? Jack Dorney's, uh, I can't remember his name, but his first name is Jack. His first tweet. So somebody out there owns his tweet, which is a bizarre thing. They can't hold it, they can't touch it, but they own it. You know, and anyone can read his tweet, but someone owns it, okay? So now there's pieces of art that actually don't exist. They're virtual things. They're called NFTs. And there's this amazing video. I think you should really look this up. It's an American chat show. I think it's The Tonight Show, one of those things. Uh, Jimmy Kimmel is, I think, is the presenter. And it's amazing. It's a, this is probably the most amazing video you will ever see today. So you can thank me later for it. Um, it is um, a video of this American chat show. And the host is talking to his guest, who I think is Paris Hilton, but it might not be. It looks like Paris Hilton, about some NFT thing called the Bored Ape Yacht Club. Now, if you want to become 
really depressed about what the future holds for us as human beings, you need to watch this. It is the 10 minutes of the dullest and most pointless conversation you will ever, ever see. But it's the future. NFTs. You heard it here first, or you didn't hear it here first, but you've heard it now. Anyway, have a look. 10 years ago, would you have imagined that there would be Irish primary school teachers miming along to snippets of film and posting them on social network called TikTok? Do you think the word influencer would ever be attached to a primary school teacher? Do you think tens of thousands of Irish primary school teachers would follow another primary school teacher and hang on to their every word and would actually pay them money to watch them give a webinar over going to a PDST course, which would be free? They would actually pay an everyday teacher, a randomer, someone who's out of college in five minutes. And I'm not saying that as a criticism. Gee, by the way, just I'm, I, I, that, I need to uh, make sure that I don't. I think these people are brilliant, uh, to be honest with you. I think they're fantastic people, all of them. But, well, not all of them, but most of them are brilliant. I mean, how innovative is it that you would be as influential? You've gone to college, you come up with some brilliant ideas, you create this amazing content and you sell it. I think this is fantastic. And you can give seminars as to how you do it. I think people like this are geniuses. Um, and people do them. You know, how to, do, how to do well in an interview. You know, this is amazing stuff. How to get a B post or whatever they're called these days. These are great. I love it. Um, and people will go to these courses instead of doing PDST courses. Someone, is, someone might say how to teach English in a different way. I have invented this way of teaching English. I mean, brilliant. Why not? So why are people doing this over going to PDST courses? It's a really good, to me, it's a really good question. Um, and this is where technology is bringing us. It's the era of the influencer, where anybody with a niche can become an expert in that area. And this is really exciting to me. Um, and some people scoff at it, and I don't know why. I think it's, it's absolutely brilliant. And the funny thing is, when I was giving keynote speeches at Technology Education Conference over 10 years ago, I was saying that this is what was going to happen. Even though I didn't really believe it myself, I was talking about a guy called Don Hapscott, and he believed this was, this, this was the future. Niche, personalised content. And if you Google my keynote speech at the Tipperary Institute of Education, um, the ICT conference in 2010, so 12 years ago, my talk was called Talking About IE Generation. This is what it was called, I, uh, Talking About IE Generation, which included very, very poor puns based on the who, where, we talk, where I talked about the generation that are now teaching your children and what they were likely to be doing. And at that time, I didn't really have an idea of what that was going to look like. And I'm sure it's very dated. Actually, I, I've, I've lovely. I, the one thing I noticed is I had all the, my hair colour was totally black. Oh, it was gorgeous. I'm only messing, it wasn't. Um, I had a terrible hair, hair style. My glasses. Oh, gosh, they were, yeah, I don't know. Don't know. Anyway, but it's, it's it, my fashion's dated. Even my suit. Oh, my God. Anyway, it's dated badly. But actually what I was saying, and it's because I... I I must say, I admit, I watched it back just there before I, when I was writing this podcast episode. Some of the things I was saying um, have come to fruition. Definitely the word influencer, influencer wasn't used, but I was talking about these niche personalised content that teachers want. And as you reach the end of this train journey, I don't know if I've done much to help you. Um, whether that's helping you buy stuff with this money that you have. Certainly if you have all the basics in place. However, I hope I've given you some sort of formula for going beyond those basics. And if you've already done that, I really think rather than buying more stuff like robotics, like whatever it might be, 
like virtual reality headset, whatever. I think we have to hold forth until the government decide what technology is going to look like in 2026 when we have our new curriculum. There's very little point in investing thousands of euro into some robotic scheme that might not be around in 2026 when we don't really know how the new curriculum will be funded by the government. We might get nothing. And given the fact that funding has been so haphazard for technology since technology was introduced in primary schools, one could be forgiven to be sceptical that money will remain, I suppose, you know, will remain happening. I think it's more likely it will remain haphazard rather than actually remain at all. So my advice for what it's worth is to get the basics, definitely. If you haven't got the basics, get them in now. Pick a few subjects and focus on how technology can support that subject, so go beyond the basics. And if you're doing that, um, maybe wait a while. Now, I don't know how long a while is, but definitely wait. And then when the new curriculum becomes a little clearer, we need to push for something specific to help us buy what we need to support whatever it is we'll be doing. Now, I still think it'll be coding, by the way. But anyway, perhaps more importantly, that knowing what we'll be doing is how whatever it will be, we, you know, sorry, that's a really mad sentence, but whatever it's going to be, and then centralised purchasing will be needed for it. I think one of the mistakes we've made is that schools went off and bought their own stuff. We need to centralise that. Now, I believe... This is already something that needs to be put in place even now. Yes, the NCTE or the PDST Technology and Education already provide a procurement thing. But honestly, when was the last time you used it? We do need a centralised place to get our technology. And for way, way, way cheaper than you can be gotten the likes of Curry's or the like. The government needs to do what the likes of Camara or more recently Green IT did. And get the technology directly from the producers and give it to schools. You know, schools may have a little bit of autonomy. I mean, for example, the flavour they want to go down, Microsoft, Chromebook, um, iPad, or even a combination of the three, but it needs to be centrally offered. And look, much like all of the rest of the device I've offered here, what I'm, what I'm asking is for a pipe dream, really. I don't think it's going to happen. Yes, most of it comes down to the fact that schools remain private entities and we have to tackle the system before we can do anything else. But I think theoretically it has a sound basis. I mean, look at the ETBs, for example. They're able to provide their schools the latest technology without having to think about it. Now, fair enough, you might say, but ETBs will force one company on you, which they do. I mean, for example, most, most of the ETBs force schools to use Microsoft. So it's goodbye to Zoom and goodbye and hello to Teams, goodbye to iPads and hello to Surfaces. But to be honest, I'd rather take this inflexibility if it meant I could do whatever I needed to do and didn't have to have cake sales or collect today's equivalent of Tesco vouchers. Sometimes I think schools need much less autonomy than we're being led to be given. In fact, I think autonomy is often used to prevent good decisions being made centrally. We see this in all sorts of areas, not just technology, but it is technology where this autonomy has had the most profound effect in that no two schools in Ireland have the same plan. And it's about time we standardise some aspect of technology and education before the gap widens even further. And to finish at my train station, I feel we need really to be on the same track. So there you have it. Five parts of an episode. Oh my gosh. 
over two and a half hours of talking about technology. Uh, I'm so sorry. Um, I, <laughs> I hope you um, I hope you enjoyed it uh, or as much of this as possible. I hope you hopped on and hopped off where you needed to, but I do hope it was useful to you. If you've enjoyed this podcast, this is where I advertise where you should subscribe to it if you can on any of the podcasting platforms, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts or any of the others. Um, you can find it uh, if I were the Minister for Education there. Just search for onshot.net or if I were the Minister for Education. Um, if you have liked it, please uh, feel free to review the podcast, give it a five-star rating so other teachers can find it or other people can find it. Listen, that's five parts and um, hopefully it's got you through your February and um, we will see you again next time with a different episode. Thanks so much for listening. All the best. Bye-bye. <laughs>